Welcome, everybody. So glad that you are here joining us online, Skyline Church Online Worship Experience. Uh, so glad that you're here. Listen, wherever you are, check in. We've got online hosts here to, to greet you and to, to chat with you, ask any, answer any questions that you might have. Listen, if you're new here, maybe you're joining us online for the very first time. We're so glad that you're here. In fact, we would love to send you a gift just for joining us online today. There's a little button that you can click right now to let us know that you're new. We would love to connect with you. Parents, don't forget, we've got unique kids online worship experiences available for your children. Just hop on over to skylinechurch.cc and click on the button that says Sky Kids Live. And we've got some resources there for your kids. All right, we're going to jump right in. Welcome. This is a part four of our movement series. We're going to hop right in. Acts chapter four, starting in verse one. Get something to write on, something to write with, something to take notes with. Uh, and we're just going to jump Jump right in, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, and Anas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began questioning them, "By, by what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And we'll talk about this in a little bit, but one of the things I love about Peter in the first few chapters of Acts is that he constantly refers to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth, because that was a name they used to actually put down Jesus, because he's only from Nazareth. Like, Nazareth is a busted place. Nothing good could come out of Nazareth. So Peter is making sure to remind them that the very person from the very place that they rejected is what caused this miracle to happen. And then it says, Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected. He has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Okay, now, now turn to whoever you're with today and tell them that they look ordinary. Okay, now, now turn to the other person in the room, or if there's no one else, just turn to the same person and say, it looks like you've spent some time with, with Jesus. So what, what, what I want to do is I, I want to back up a little bit just to help us out. We, we, we read in part three in Acts chapter three that Peter and John healed a man who was lame from birth at the temple in Jerusalem. And if you missed 
part three of this movement series. You can catch up on YouTube or on Facebook because we come to find a man who has given up on life, a man who has been conditioned to expect basically nothing, simply asking for money. He instead receives healing in Jesus' name, and, 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 and it was actually his movement that set his miracle in motion. It's, it's not that he got up because he was made strong, but we find out that he was made strong because he stood up. So sometimes you got to get moving to get your miracle in motion. And so they healed this man, and now people around them are starting to take notice. And Peter, being the boss, being the, the fierce follower of Jesus that he was, he seized on the opportunity and starts preaching Jesus' name, telling people to turn from their wicked ways and to repent and be baptized. And so now there's a crowd that is gathered in they're hearing about Jesus. So now Q Acts chapter 4 verse 1. We'll, we'll read it again. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put him in jail till the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So now the church has exponentially grown again because in Acts chapter 2, the number was 3,000. And now we get to Acts chapter 4, and it's grown to, to 5,000. It is, it is undoubtedly gaining the attention of the religious leaders. And so they decide to show up and see what's going on and see if they can put a stop to this thing that's happening because it's not just that Peter and, and, and John are, are preaching this Jesus person, but it's that many people are believing it. So it, it would be one thing if these men were preaching and, and everybody was just kind of scoffing at them and, and rejecting them, but, but they're preaching the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and people in large numbers are now putting their faith in Jesus. And listen to me, one of the quickest ways... For the religious system to, to, to kind of quell this whole uprising and to, to stop everything that's going on was to persecute it, to, to intimidate it, to, to threaten them. And by, by the way, that's what, that's what those in power normally do when they fear somebody or something that they cannot legitimately challenge. When, 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 when they cannot on merit or on truth or on fact tell you why something is not correct. They'll just simply intimidate and they'll bully and they'll try to, try to persecute. But what you'll find out if you read the book of Acts is that even though the preachers were persecuted, the word prevailed. It, even though the apostles and the disciples and the church were persecuted, the word of Jesus prevailed. Sometimes your most painful days are really your growing days. So, sometimes the days where you're stretched where you're pulled, where you're hurt, where you're bruised. Those are the days that you gain the most. And by the way, remember, all of this is, ha is not happening at some organized church event. Uh, nothing's been promoted. There, there, there's no social media promotion taking place. There's no Facebook ads. There's no place and a date and a time that revival has been sent for. The church at this time is meeting at homes. I'll, I'll say it again just in case we missed it. The church was meeting in homes. 
some of the, the biggest and most profound moments in the history of the early church are happening while the church is small and doesn't have a lot. It doesn't have much to its name. It doesn't have any leverage in society. It doesn't have any political backing. There's no religious freedom in the Roman Empire. But this moment right here where the church grows by a few thousand people happens simply out of obedience, all out of listening and following the prompting of the Holy Spirit. What if, what if the, the 21st century church acted, believed, thought, and moved like the first century church? I, I, I don't have to wait to be obedient. I, I don't have to wait till someone organizes something for, for me to be obedient when Jesus is calling me. I don't have to wait until everyone else has got it set up. I don't have to wait until Sunday. I don't have to wait until there's been an event put on the calendar. Just get moving. Open your eyes. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit. And when he prompts you, you move. You go. You listen. You obey. You speak life. You pray. You buy groceries for that person. You roll down your window and you get the cash out of your pocket and hand it to the person on the corner. And watch and wait and see what Jesus can do with a little bit of spontaneous obedience. we got to stop waiting for everything to be, to be planned. And so the, the priests show up. The, 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 the religious leaders show up. They've even got guards with them. Not only do you have religious leaders, now you have law enforcement leaders with them. Literally every leader that they could round up shows up on the scene. The very religious system that Jesus stood against, that Jesus at, at many times tried to upend and flip over, shows itself here again. And let's not be mistaken in this moment. The religious system at that time stood in stark contrast to the teachings of Jesus. They did not take kindly to the fact that Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. He would look at the Pharisees and the religious leaders and say, hey, you all are, are whitewashed tombs. You look nice and clean and organized on the outside, but on the inside it's nothing but, but dead bones. Or he called them a brood of vipers. He one time told them that the devil was their father. I mean, we go on and on and on. The religious leaders did not like Jesus, and so the system did not like Jesus. And one of the most important things that the leaders are threatened by, by Jesus and the movement of his people and by the apostles, is the distribution of power. You see, the, 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 the religious system of the day had become so corrupt especially when, when you got to a place like, like Jerusalem, the leaders of the time loved their power and position more than they loved people. And so they're, they're threatened by Jesus, by, by what he stands for, and they're even more threatened now by the disciples because they've, they've now been infilled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Listen, Religion consolidates power to a few, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit empower everybody. There's no list of requirements. There's no separate set of people. Listen, if you'll just be obedient, if you'll put your faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and ask to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Listen, power is available to you. There's no select group. There's no inside crowd. There's no special family lineage that you need to have to gain access. 
And so these, these people's very position and prestige and power are threatened by the movement of Jesus. You know, sometimes the enemy will show up cloaked in religion. The, 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 the enemy of your life will show up cloaked in rules and rituals and regulations and restrictions and traditions and laws, all in order to keep you free from being free in Jesus. Hey, it's got to look this way. Well, tradition says it's got to look like this. Rules say it's got to look like this. Restrictions say it's got to it's got to look like this. And so he shows up in the form. He's cloaked in religion. Sometimes he'll show up cloaked in your past. He'll he'll show up cloaked in something that sounds like Jesus but isn't really quite Jesus. He'll he'll speak the words of Jesus, but he'll he'll misuse them like to Eve in the garden. He shows up. He says, "Hey, did God really say that if you ate of this fruit that you would, did he really say that? Or, or like he tried to do to Jesus while tempting him in the desert. And hey, if, if you really are who you say you are, you could throw yourself down off this temple and the very angel, like he's, the, the enemy will show up and he'll try to use God's word against you. So not only do these religious leaders show up, but we find out that they are disturbed at what's happening. In fact, I, I kind of like the King James Version, how it translates it a little bit, because it really shows you the kind of mood that they're in. So Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and the King James says it this way. It says, being grieved that they taught the people. I mean, these guys are in mourning. It, it, it they are, they are experiencing a loss. They are grieving because they are in the midst of losing something. They, they, they're grieving, mourning that the disciples are out there in the temple. They're grieving not just that the disciples and the apostles were so bold and would be in public, but that the people's hearts were, were ready to receive the gospel because they must have certainly thought that that putting Jesus to death in such a public, humiliating, excruciating, painful, laborious way. That in doing that, that for certain the disciples would have been ashamed to proclaim and, and, and afraid to call Jesus their own. They'd be afraid to declare his name, be afraid to declare allegiance to him, to stand so boldly in the temple courts and shout the name of Jesus. I imagine that they are grieved and disturbed by the fact that the gospel isn't losing ground, which is most likely what they had hoped for, but that in this moment, the gospel is gaining ground. The name of Jesus is being made greater. It's being lifted up higher. More and more people are coming to know Jesus, to put their faith in him, to declare his name. They thought that they had put Jesus in the grave. They thought for sure that they had killed the leader of this movement, but what they actually did was they positioned Jesus to break the chains of death. They positioned him to stare the enemy in the face and take back the keys to the kingdom. They positioned Jesus to say, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? So if you're in a season right now where it feels like the enemy is coming after you with everything he's got, 
That the enemy is throwing everything he can at you to shut you down. Setting traps for you everywhere that you go. The addiction seems stronger. The depression is mounting. The anxiety is growing. The pressure won't relent. Listen, this account seems, my, 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 my bank account seems to be running dry. My marriage is on the edge. You've been furloughed. You've been laid off. Just know that when the enemy is throwing everything he can at you, he thinks that he's harming you. He thinks that he's hurting you. He thinks that he's humiliating you, shaming you, causing you to shrink back and run, setting you setting you back so that you can't gain any ground. Remember that you serve a God who's already trampled your enemy under his foot. You serve a God who turns mourning into dancing. You serve a God who turns graves into launching grounds. He takes weakness and makes it strength. He takes the impossible and makes it possible. He turns loss into gain. He turns famine into feast. Remember that it's not a setback, but it's a set up for you. So listen to me. If you feel pressured, pressed, knocked down, there's strength waiting for you. There's boldness waiting for you. There's victory waiting for you in Jesus' name. Listen to me because he already won it for you. On the cross. Okay, we got, we got to keep moving in our, in our text here. So they get Peter and John. They've, they've arrested them, threw, threw, threw them in prison. Which, by the way, the, the Lord is, is using this, this trial here, this, this painful circumstance here, to prepare them for greater trials. Which is the same thing that Jesus will, will do with us. He'll use lesser trials to prepare us for, for greater ones. Because in this moment, the, the disciples are persisting into bondage. But later in their lives, they would have to continue to persist for the gospel unto the shedding of their own blood. And so the leaders have them. And they ask them in, in verse 7, what they're, asked, they're, they're getting ready to ask them the question that they really want to know. Acts chapter Chapter 4, verse 7. They have Peter and John. They bring them and they begin to question him. By what power or what name did you do this? Where, where did you get this authority? By the way, this is the same question that they would ask Jesus in Matthew chapter 21 when he was in Jerusalem. By what authority are you teaching these? By what authority are you, are you doing these things? Because in their day, if you were going to preach, if you were going to stand outside and you were going to teach people, and you were going to gather people, if you were going to heal somebody, you, had, you needed authority given to you to do it. And the temple leaders, had they had to give you the authority to do it. And so they look at the, the disciples and say, hey, where's your permission slip? Like, who? we didn't give you this authority. We didn't give you permission to be doing this. By the way, it's, it's, it's always interesting to watch people who think they have power squirm when they realize that they don't actually have power. And so Peter gets ready to reply, starting in verse 8. He says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, elders of all the people, if, if we, if we're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and we're being asked how he was healed, like, are you really bringing us before you today because we, we did something great. We showed kindness to a man who was born lame. We did something for him that actually changed his life for the better. He no longer has to be carried everywhere to beg every single day. He no longer needs to depend on others to survive. He can now discover his purpose. He can literally, for the first time ever, step 
into his call. You're calling me to give an account for this? Okay, then y'all better be ready. Because maybe they hadn't heard Peter before, or maybe they had forgotten. But you give Peter an opportunity, and you're not going to have to ask him a second time. Because then he says, then, then know this, you and all the people of Israel is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man st- stands before you. And, and in case for some reason you thought it had something to do with us, it most certainly wasn't. You need to know that it was in the name of Jesus. By the way, yes, Jesus of Nazareth, the one whom you despised, the one whom you said couldn't be true because he was from Nazareth. Nazareth, a place that it possibly couldn't come from. Remember, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you come from a place of obscurity or from a background or family of origin that others don't see fit. If you don't have the pedigree to be where you are, yes, it's in the name of Jesus of Nazareth whom you crucified, but Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. You all killed him. How's that working out for you? You took his life, but God the Father gave his life back to him. You buried him in the grave only to find out that the grave couldn't hold him, that sin couldn't defeat him, that death couldn't keep its arms wrapped around him and keep him in the ground. Listen, you can oppose Jesus all you want, but you've got to understand further opposition to Jesus' name is not going to get you anywhere. So listen, somebody today under the sound of my voice needs to hear this, that, that whatever or whoever has started taking life from you, that Jesus himself has the authority to give life back to you. Someone or something has stolen life from your marriage, from your kids, from your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health. Something is draining the life from you in this very moment, a circumstance, a situation, a doctor's report, a furlough notice. It's trying to take life away from you but in Jesus name he breathes life back into you today Come on, somebody ought to be praising Jesus for that right now because it's Jesus the stone that you leaders rejected the, the one that, re, that, that the religious, the, the one that the leaders, you all rejected, you, you didn't accept him, you actually put him to death. Jesus, he's not just a stone, he is the stone, he's the cornerstone, he's the thing on which all of this is going to be built. And then he says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's no other name. No other person. Salvation. Salvation. It's found in no one else. I love it. The, the, I, I want to just touch on that word really quickly because I think it's, it's going to help a whole bunch of us today. The, 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 this word salvation, I, I want to give you another word. Soteria. That, that is the, the Greek word, the original word in, 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 in Scripture that is translated in English to salvation, soteria. Now, it's a beautiful word, and the, the, the English language does not do it justice at all. And for many of us, when, when we hear the term salvation, we think of eternity. Now, now, listen to me. It's important that we don't miss things here. Because, yes, when we say salvation for your eternity is only found in Jesus' name, that is exactly what that means. But listen to me. There's more available to you. So many of us, especially those of us that have grown up in church, 
We've grown up around it our whole lives. We think that we have our eternity secure. And because of that, I can just deal with the pain and the hurt and the suffering and getting by and the sickness and the depression and the anxiety and the letdown here on this side because I know that the other side of eternity is secure. But listen to me. Jesus in John 10 said, listen, I came to give life and life abundantly. I came to give eternal life but also abundant life here and now. I came to bring soteria. I want to help us understand that word. Here's what that word really encompasses. It's deliverance, preservation, safety, salvation, deliverance from the molestation of enemies, safety for your soul. And I'm wondering if there's, if there's anyone listening today who has called on the name of Jesus for your eternity, but you're calling on all sorts of different names for your safety and for your deliverance. Because listen to me, there's lots of other names out there that would pretend to be a saving name. Names that would pretend to be safety for your soul. Your job is pretending to be security for you and for your family and for your soul. That house is pretending to be safety for you. The likes and the followers and the hearts and the watches are pretending to be deliverance for the deep-rooted need that you have. That relationship feels like security for your soul. That drink or that medication or that thing that you're calling on and pretending that it's help and protection for you. But listen to me. The only name given to humanity that, that can entirely and wholly satisfy your soul, which can meet the longing deep inside of you that can be fully and wholly known, and that's the name of Jesus. Come on. If today, if your soul needs some safety, if your soul needs restoration, if you're tired and you're weary, if you spent months or years under the attack of your enemy, the longing inside of you crying out for something more, something greater, something more fulfilling than what you've already found. All you have to do is call on the name of Jesus. Because he's simply a breath away. You're a breath away from the very presence of Jesus, from his healing, his presence, his hope, his protection, his restoration. And I know that some of you in this, in this very moment may say, Pastor, this, this is arrogance. How, how could Jesus say? How could the disciples say? How could the scripture say that, that there's no other name? Well, I, I want to give you the, the UTJ, UTJ version of this passage. If you're wondering, that, that's the unofficial Jeff translation. I, I, I would say it this way. There is no other person who is coming to pursue you. There is no other name, no other person who came running after you, who will chase you down. There is no one else who stepped out of the riches of eternity and heaven and then willingly went to a cross, willingly nailed there for my sin, willingly stood in my place so that I could stand in his place. Every other name other than the name of Jesus, says something along the lines of, you got to do enough, you got to be enough, you got to try hard enough, you got to keep enough rules, keep enough rituals, pray enough, be good enough, pursue enough. I hope that you can make it. I hope that you reach it. I hope that you can follow all the rules. But in Jesus' name, you do not have to go looking for salvation. Salvation came looking for you. 
That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 would say it this way. He said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When, when I was in no position to bargain, when I had no leverage, in, in, instead of me trying to work and work and work and hoping and hoping and hoping that I could do enough in exchange for eternity, Jesus came for me. I didn't have to pursue him. He pursued me. It says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Listen to me. You don't have to go looking for refuge for your soul. Refuge came looking for you. Healing came came and took his place on a cross. Deliverance came and shed his blood for you. There's no one else coming for you. Salvation doesn't have to be earned. It came for you. Healing doesn't have to be attained. It came for you. Restoration doesn't need to be sought out. It's coming for you. Peace doesn't need to be discovered. Joy isn't hiding somewhere to be found. It came and found you. Whatever it is you think you don't have, it's coming for you. Whatever it is you think you need, you don't have to pursue it. It came and pursued you. Hope for your future. Hope for your eternity isn't something that you might be able to attain if you try hard enough. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Somebody ought to give a shout of praise right now in Jesus' name. Wherever you are right now, stand to your feet. Because there's something I want to make sure you get inside of you today. A charge, a, a blessing, an encouragement, a challenge. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They witnessed the boldness of these men, the boldness to stand against all odds, to defy the religious leaders, to proclaim the name of Jesus, proclaim the name of the one that they had put to death, and perhaps they would have expected such boldness or courage from a prophet. Perhaps they would have expected boldness or courage from one of their own ranks, from someone of prominence. Perhaps they would have expected boldness from someone like the prophet Ezekiel, who when God commissioned him said this, Ezekiel chapter 3, he said, I will make you unyielding. And as, as hardened as they are, I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. Like, I'm going to make you strong. You're worried about them being strong. I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to give you some toughness, some boldness, some courage. Come on. The church needs some men, needs some women who will stand with courage and stand with boldness. Who's going to allow the Lord to harden you up a little bit? Who's going to make you unyielding? Make it so that you won't back down. Make it so that when they knock you down, you get back up. So perhaps they would have expected this from a prophet. Certainly not from these men. Not from these, not from these fishermen. 
not from these Galileans, not from these uneducated, unlearned, undignified, unsophisticated men, not from these idiots. That's literally what the word implies here. When they say unschooled, they're implying that these men are idiots, unlearned, unprepared, uneducated. And the enemy spoke over them the same thing that he's trying to speak over some of you today. You don't have what it takes. You don't have the degree. You don't have the understanding. You don't have the pedigree. Have you seen your family of origin? Have you seen what's in your closet? Have you seen what's in your, you won't make it. You don't have enough. You're not smart enough for that job. You don't have the capacity to be a parent. You can't be a leader. And what I want to declare to someone today is that if the enemy has ever tried to tell you that you're unqualified, that you don't have what it takes, that you're not enough, if your life circumstances are telling you that you're not going to make it, that you're not going to survive, that you don't have it within you to make a difference, that it doesn't matter, the world won't matter if you're here or not, that your spouse is better off with someone else, your kids are better off. Listen, what I want to tell you today maybe maybe you're better off being unschooled because sometimes it's better if you're ordinary because listen the leaders were astonished by what they saw and here's what they took note of they took note that these men had been with Jesus that these men's lives, their callings, their passions, their boldness, their unwavering strength, their ability to stand amongst intimidation, to stand out, to stand up, to move forward, their ability to confound the wisest among them, their ability to have faith enough to call a man lame from birth to stand and walk was because they had been with Jesus. It wasn't their education. It wasn't their intellectual ability. It wasn't their checking account. It wasn't their fame. It wasn't things that they had accumulated. It was that they had spent time with Jesus. So come on, if you're looking to do something significant, spend time with the most significant person on earth. You want to make an impact on people's lives around you? Then you'd better get around the person who made the largest impact. You want to be able to love those kids? Then you better get around and spend time with not only the one who knows how to love, but is himself love. You want to know how to care for those who are persecuted around you? Then you better get around the one who prioritized the marginalized. If you're looking to make a difference for all of eternity, then you better get the one who left all of eternity to come get you. You want to bring some heaven down to earth, to your street, to your house, to your block, then you better spend some time with the one who brought it here first. Come on, it's your time with Jesus. It's your life with Jesus. It's connecting to him that's gonna enable you to do some things that you've never been able to do before. And those in charge might look, say you're a fool. You're uneducated, you're not ready. You don't have what it takes. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. <laughs> Listen to me. You'll be able to say to them, no, 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 no. You don't know how much time I've spent with Jesus. 
You're looking at all the wrong stuff. I'm not worried about my education. I'm not worried about my income. I'm not worried about the zeros in my bank account. I'm not worried about it. What I'm worried about is the time that I've spent. What if? What if the reputation of the church of Jesus, what if when people saw us, what if when people were around us, the thing that they took note of was not our intellect, not our ability, not what we have, but they look around and say, hey, it doesn't look like they should have all this stuff. It doesn't look like they should be able to solve that problem. It doesn't look like they've got, but what, what I do know is I can tell this man, that woman, that son, that daughter, they spent some time with Jesus and it's changing them and it's empowering them and it's making them able to do some things that they've never been able to do before. All right, here's what we're going to do. I want to honor this moment right now. Every head bowed, every heart open. There's some of you here today. You've never genuinely experienced salvation. Soteria. Not just salvation for your eternity. In Jesus' name. But safety for your soul refuge for your heart listen to me that's a vet you you are a breath away from it in Jesus name so here's what I want to do every head bowed every heart open and no matter where you are no matter who you with I want every single person for the sake of people who are gonna pray this prayer maybe for the very first time I want us all to cover and pray this with me now listen to me if you if you say this prayer with faith, Scripture said if, that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus was raised from the dead, you're saved. So I want to give everyone an opportunity right now to step into soteria, salvation, not just for your eternity, but for your soul here and now. So every head bowed, every heart open, say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus. I confess today and I believe in my heart today that you are who you say you are that you lived you died on the cross and you were resurrected on the third day for my salvation and that in your name I'm wiped clean that in your name my sin is done away with. And today, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my everything. I want to become a new creation. I want rest for my soul and hope for my eternity. Now, come on. If you prayed that prayer in faith and in Jesus' name, you're a new creation today. Come on, all of heaven is celebrating you coming home. No matter where you are right now, let's lift up a shout of praise for every man, every woman who's stepping into salvation in this moment. Celebrate with all of heaven what Jesus is doing right now.
Now listen to me. If you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time, I want to tell you the same thing that all of heaven is telling you right now. Welcome home. Literally all of heaven is rejoicing right now because of the best decision you just ever made. Now listen, one of the worst things you could do would be to be inspired to make a change and then not take any step forward in it. So here's what you can do right now. You can click a little button that says, hey, I'm, I made that decision today. We want to connect with you. We want to pray with you. We want to partner with you on this faith journey that you are in. We'd love to connect with you. Now listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, end every, we're going to end today the same way we do each week, with an opportunity to give our tithes and our offerings. Now, church, I just want to encourage you. Hopefully you've been following us on social media and you kind of already know this, but if you don't, listen, y'all have been incredible. We have been buying out food trucks every single Thursday night during the stay-at-home quarantine. Now listen to me, y'all, we have been able to feed nearly 1,700 people by buying out food trucks. Now listen to me, that is because of your generosity, because of your faithfulness, because of your consistency. And I want to encourage you to keep doing it, keep being faithful, keep being generous, because we keep meeting the needs of our city. Come on, that's good news right there. That's the, that's the kingdom of Jesus moving forward. That's the gospel being lived out in our city. Now listen, if you're new with us, we don't want anything from you. In fact, we just hope that today this experience was our gift to you. But if you call Skyline Church your home, all we ever ask is that you ask Jesus what you should give and then just be obedient to that because we know that on the other side of obedience, there's blessing for you and for your family. There's two ways that you can give. You can give online or through our app. Or you can give right from your smartphone. You can text the amount you want to give to 84321 and then just follow the prompts from there, so exciting, so exciting to be a part of what Jesus is doing in our city. Listen, church, continue in this season to be faithful, consistent, and generous so that God's church can continue to be faithful, consistent, and generous to our city. And I just want to bless you as we go. If you can, right where you are, just slip your hands up and receive this. Jesus, I pray that your very presence would be with your church and with your people. That would go before them. Holy Spirit, that you would dwell in and empower each and every person under the sound of my voice. And Heavenly Father, that you would cause your good face to shine upon us. Give us peace and rest until we gather together again in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we love you. We miss you. Cannot wait to be together with you in person. Stay connected with us online. Have an amazing week. We love you.